Our topic this week out of Genesis chapter 3, or at least starting there and springboarding into other parts of the Bible. This is the last that I can think of, of uh, sermon's 22nd one, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, so unless uh, God impresses me with something else during this week, or impresses one of you that uh, uh, God gives you a message and see me and give you the pulpit and let you preach it. Uh, but uh, I'm sure there is much more there in the first three chapters, but we see the foundation of the whole Bible there in the first three chapters of the Bible. And so, picking up here at Genesis, within Genesis chapter 3, the original sin. All right, so what was the original sin? Now, there are really multiple layers of the sin uh, that was originally uh, committed. Let's take a look at what uh, a strong one is. So we look at the Ten Commandments, and I don't like abbreviated Ten Commandments. I think they are not good at all, but for this purpose here, just for a quick look at, I think it's helpful, right? So let's look at the Ten Commandments and which one of the Ten Commandments were broken uh, in, uh, in Eve's uh, action. Now, shall I have no other gods before me? Well, she certainly did that in a spiritual sense, uh, definitely there. Uh, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Not quite, maybe in a spiritual sense. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Again, not directly, but in a spiritual sense, she did. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and not again in a literal way, but in a spiritual way. Yes, honor thy father and thy mother. Again, not a direct way, but spiritually. Yes, thou shalt not kill. Well, she gave the fruit to her husband, so in a sense, she killed him. Uh, thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. And again, in a spiritual sense, yes, in a literal sense, no, thou shalt not steal. Well, definitely in a literal sense, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, and to some extent. Um, and then number 10, thou shalt not covet. And again, that's the abbreviated version. And, and she did covet, and that's what led to the steal. And so I want to focus in on the one that is really the most literal, I think, of them all. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Right, so she took from the fruit that she was told not to take from. Right, it was not hers. And I'd imagine there were at least nine other trees there in the Garden of Eden, right? And, uh, or maybe even hundreds of other, maybe even thousands of other trees that she could have eaten from. She did not need to eat from that tree. So why did God put that tree there anyway? Right, it really was there as a test, a test of loyalty. A test of love. Does she really, do they really love me? And are they willing to trust me and believe me when I say, don't touch that, this is okay, that's not okay. Do they trust me? Will they trust me in this simple area? Uh, it was not a, a need for survival. It was not a need for uh, hunger. You know, they just, she didn't need it. It was by choice that she would go to that and take from something that God said, don't take from. Right, so a very simple, simple test, uh, but it was placed there, and Eve failed by taking what was not hers, which God specifically said, this is not yours, this is mine, and she took from it. And that is, in essence, the original sin. That was the original test. Now, we might think, oh boy, if I was there, I wouldn't have failed that test. Well, God has given us almost the same exact test for our day as well. And so it was a first day issue, and it's going to be a last day issue as well. This test of loyalty, this test 
of stealing, this test of not taking what is God's and taking it onto ourselves. Right? And the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? I mean, could you imagine robbing from God? But that is what Eve did. She robbed from God. Hey, imagine someone robbing from God, right? Taking from the offering plate, robbing from God, you know, taking something that is God's. That's what the Bible says that uh, Eve did and that we do. And he says this in Malachi 3. And if you know your Bible, you know where we're going with this. The Bible says, in tithe and offerings, you have robbed me. And so that is the same test, a very similar test to that tree that God placed there. Now it mentions here in Malachi 3, verse 8, tithes and offerings. They are two separate things, and we're going to, in a few minutes, delineate that and explain the differences between the two and what the two are and how they are used and how they are to be used and how they are given and what they actually mean. But here he's saying, you're stealing me from me in this way. And they're saying, we don't even know. How do we rob from you? There's a kind of an ignorance or a willful ignorance on their part that they're saying, we don't even know what we're doing wrong. And there are many people today who don't understand this principle and are willfully or unwillfully doing or ignorantly doing wrong against God in robbing from God. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Hey, and Eve, we are cursed because of her sin. And Adam taking along. She was deceived. Adam chose. And we have been under a curse. The Bible lists the curses that would come as a result. And we are definitely experiencing them today. And we've talked about them in the past. Why there's weeds, right? Why is it easier for weeds to grow? Why is it easier to sin than to do what is right? It's because we are under this curse because of their choices that have passed down. And we are committing some of the same choices, the same wrong choices, and thus we are under a curse. Who likes to be under a curse? Right, but it says we are under this curse, even the whole nation. So it has affected us all. But God has a solution. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now here he just mentions tithes. It's in the same context, just two verses after it said tithes and offerings, but here it's specifically saying about the tithes, and so the tithes are used differently, and the tithes were to be given into the storehouse so that there would be food in God's house. So the tithe is there, in other places in the Bible as well, for the use, for the Levites who are ministering God's word, so that they would be able to be fed, that they would be able to be sustained from the tithe. That was the purpose of the tithe, that is what it for, given for, for into the storehouse, a specific purpose, not for some homeless ministry, as good as that might be, not for putting a roof on a building, as important as that might be, or other type of ministries, but specifically for the ministering of God's word, for the sharing of God's word, for the sharing of God's truth, for the ministering of the gospel message. And so that's where the tithes, the tithes would be given in a specific place, to the storehouse, not used however we wanted, and for a specific purpose, for the uh, feeding and the sustaining of the ministers. Verse 10, still chapter, Malachi chapter 3, Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. 
The mercy says you're under a curse, but you don't want to be under that curse anymore? Then move into obedience and you will receive blessings instead of curses. And such blessings that you won't even be able to receive it. You won't even have enough pockets. Your purse will bust open with so much blessings that you will not be able to receive it. And he says, just try me. Give it a try. Try it out for three months. See how you do. See how your finances do uh, before and see how they do after. Just give it a try. I mean, God is pretty reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah. Try it. Give it a try. Test it out. Test him out. He invites us to test him, to try him, to see if he's faithful to his promises, see if he will come through with his promises that he will pour out, pour out upon us these blessings. And we'll delineate some of the blessings, the Bible tells us, that he, we will receive as we walk in obedience with him. And if he would have done that, the whole history of this world would have been different if she didn't take from God. Okay, still chapter 3, verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor the vine shall fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Those are some of the blessings, and we'll see more. But it's for our sake. It's not for God. He says, for your sakes. Return the tithes, and it will be a blessing for you. For your sake, that he'll rebuke the devourer. The devourer taking from you in various different ways. That just drying your bones, and just drying your finances, and just drying your energy, and drying up your life. He says he will rebuke that, and pour out blessings that you'll have food in abundance and blessings, and even other nations will see it. It'll be so dramatic that they will be jealous, that they will see the blessings, and all the nations, nations will say, you are blessed. God has blessed these people. What is it that they have? What is it that they're doing that they have these blessings? And God has done that, and we have seen that in multiple times, in multiple ways. Right? Sheila reads the stories week after week of people who have tested God, tried God, and seen how he has poured out his blessings in return. And I've seen that uh, in many people's lives. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. All the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So God delineates. This is not, it's not ours. It's his. He lets it pass through our hands. He lets us hold it for a while, but it's really not ours. It's his. It's all his. The tithe is his. And it's holy. It's sanctified. So by taking it and using it for any other purpose is taking what is holy, what is God's, what has been sanctified, what is set apart for a specific use, for a holy use, and misusing it and thus stealing from God. And not only are we stealing from God in that sense, but we're also stealing from others because we're more, less people will hear the gospel. And there'll be less people in the kingdom of heaven as a result. I fully believe that if every single professed believer had been regularly giving tithes and offerings, even for the last 50 years, we'd be in heaven by now. The gospel would have gone to the world by now, and the end would have come, and we'd be in heaven. But it's because of our withholding and stealing from God that we're still stuck here on this planet. And there will be people in the king that won't be in the kingdom of heaven 
because of that. Unless we will be doubly cursed, stealing from God and hindering God's work. It is holy. It is his. So while he lets us pass through our hands, just like he placed that tree right in the midst of the garden, right? then they would have to pass it lots of different times wherever they went in the garden. There it is right in the middle. It wasn't over in some corner somewhere. It was right in the midst of the garden that they would see it, pass by it, and have opportunity to take from it. God put it there as that test. And so he puts it in our midst. He lets us hold it, but it's not ours. That tree was not theirs. It was not for them. And the tithe is not ours. It's theirs. Right? It's kind of like if, if uh, we're at the beach together and, and I give you my wallet and I say, here, all this, I'm going swimming, right? And I go in the water and I come out, you know, and, and I say, give me my wallet back. And you say, no. <laughs> you know, it, it that wasn't yours. You were holding it for a time. <laughs> it was in your possession, but it wasn't yours. Right? It was still mine. And so God allows it to be in our hands as that test, but it's still really his. Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek, the prince, the righteous prince of Salome, the prince of peace. Jacob gave tithe, or promised to give tithe, when he had this vision of the Lord and set out on his own. We have lots of examples. So a tithe is one-tenth of everything we have. So that's what a tithe means, this old word tithe, that really just means tenth. It's a tenth, one-tenth of what God has blessed us with. And so in calculating dollars-wise, out of 1,000, that's $100 is God's. For those not good with math, from every $100, that's $10. That is God's. One-tenth out of every $10, $1 is God's. Now, so far in my life, I have never met, personally met, anyone who has nothing. I've seen pictures of some people in other countries who have Nothing, literally nothing. But I see that all you have clothes on, and that's good. So you, so you all have something, right? And I, I used to be in, in a full-time uh, ministry to the homeless, sharing food with the homeless uh, each week, every week, for six years in New York City. And we weren't just in one location and just saw a certain population that came to us. We went looking for them. We went all over New York City, all the boroughs of New York City, looking for the homeless people, to parks, behind trees, uh, in the subways, down, some we'd go three levels down to the bottom level and find them under staircases, and we'd find them and invite them up to come up and get food. And uh, just everywhere and anywhere, buildings, alleys, we'd look for, for homeless people to bring them food. And the gospel message, magazines, and, and Bibles and other things, and to pray with them and minister to them. And in all that time, I never met anyone who had nothing. They always had something. Even if it was just a few cigarettes or something, they all had something. If they didn't have it with them right then, by the end of the day, they would have something uh, to, to... And they had clothes, they always had something, some bag, they always had something. They always had some food, they had the food we gave them. And so does God ask if someone who has virtually nothing, even a homeless person, who someone gives a dollar to, does God expect them to give 10 cents of that dollar? They don't have a home, they, they, they don't have a meal plan for tomorrow, they don't have uh, any really worth uh, of, of, of physical possessions worth really much. But someone gives them a dollar, they, should they give 10% of that? Should they give a dime to the Lord's work? Seems pretty harsh, huh? 
God expect that of you with, with all the bills that you have and all the responsibilities that you have and all those that, that are uh, needing your support and help, your family and, and all the obligations you have and such little income that you have and so how much little coming in does God expect of you to give 10% off the top first and foremost? Well, Elijah met this lady who literally had nothing or almost nothing. She's out there gathering some sticks. She didn't even have an electric stove or a gas burner or propane. Gathering some sticks to rub together to make a little fire. Because I just have, she tells him, I just have enough flour and enough oil to make two small cakes. And there's two in my family. <laughs> Me and my young son. One cake is for him and one cake is for me and that's our last meal. We have no more flour, we have no more oil, we have no husband and no adult sons and no other family that's going to provide for us. We have no farm, we have no house to sell, we have nothing. That's it, that's the last that we have. And then we're going to starve to death. And what does Elijah say? Give me first. First, before you feed your son, he's taking food right out of the kid's mouth. Sounds pretty selfish. Give me first, and then what's left over for your son and for yourself. What does she say? What are you, nuts? <laughs> That's cruel. No, she says, okay. And she does that. She makes the two cakes, and she gives, makes it into three or whatever it is, and she gives Elijah first. And what does God do? keeps to his promises, and he blesses her, and the oil does not run out, the flour does not run out. It was in the midst of a famine. Again, so she said, I just have this little flour and this little oil for two cakes. I'm not going to be able to replace it because no one else has anything either. We've been in famine all these years. There's no rain all these years. Crops are dying all, all these years. And yet she put God to the test. She believed him, and God blessed. And of all the people in town, her flour never ran out, her oil never ran out as she put God first. And as we put God first, God will do miraculous things and amazing things for us. Really a test of faith. Exodus 35, verse 29. The children, and really, I, I, I would rather see, I'd rather see everyone, no matter how poor, no matter how situation there are, everyone to give tithes and offerings than to, to, to see just a few rich people support God's work. Because the blessing is not for God. It's for us as we give. And we would receive the blessing, just as that woman received the blessing, the blessing is for the giver, not for the one who receives, not for God. We receive the blessings. So how much more important for all of us even that woman, even a homeless person, whoever, whatever the situation, the blessing is for them. They're the ones who get back. And God's work goes forward, and there'll be more people in the kingdom of heaven. Exodus 35, verse 29, the children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. So here now is mentioned the free will offering. So we looked a little bit at the tithe. The tithe is that 10% of all that God has given to us. That comes first off the top. 
Before anyone else receives anything? Right? Who's more important to you, God or the government? Good. Well, it'll show whether we give tithe off of what we get or what we get after taxes. <laughs> right? If we're giving after taxes, then that means government was first and then God was second. Right? Uh, who's, who's more important, God or the, the mortgage or the landlord, right? It shows in our checkbook, right? It shows who we gave first. Do we give God first or do we give off what is left over after we gave to everyone else? Right, so the tithe is the 10% first from what God has blessed us with and we have received. Now, free will offering is separate from tithe. It's a different thing. So the tithe is a set amount. It's 10%, an exact amount, which is really fair. Whether you receive a lot or you receive a little, it's still just 10%, right? So it's fair to all, it's equal to all. Uh, and those who receive more, well then their 10% is a higher amount. Right? So it comes out on a basis of percentage-wise the same. So that's the tithe, and then the free will offering is over and above the tithe that we freely give to the Lord, which what God allowed to have us to have, the 10% again was his, the 90% he lets us manage. And of that 90%, he says, whatever you freely want to give as an offering to be used for materials, for the building of the house of the Lord, and for other type of ministries. And every so often there was a uh, second tithe for sharing for the homeless and other type of things. But the free will offering, is, there's no set amount mentioned in the Bible for the free will offering. And so that is just freely given an offering above the 10% that we choose to give. So here's an illustration to demonstrate the difference between the two. Let's say you borrowed your neighbor's ladder. You're gonna paint your house, and you don't have a ladder, your ladder broke, whatever, and you borrow your ladder from your neighbor, right? Now, if you don't return the ladder to your neighbor, you finish the painting job, and you store it in your garage, and you move away, or whatever, and you take that ladder with you, and you never return it to your neighbor, what are you? You're a thief, right? You're like Eve, right? You stole from what was not yours, right? You're a thief. Now, what if you painted your house, and you returned the ladder in basically the same shape, maybe a, a paint stain here or there, uh, but basically the same shape, and you return it to your neighbor, what are you? Godly? I mean, ungodly people would do that too. Cheap? Honest? Yeah, you're just honest, right? You deserve a pat on the back for that. You deserve a way to go. You deserve a thank you, right? I mean, you may say thank you, but really you didn't do anything great because it was their ladder. <laughs> you just gave back to them what was theirs. Like if you gave me back my wallet after I was done swimming, right? You just gave back what was theirs. You were just being honest. Now, if you give a basket, a gift, or a fruit basket for this illustration, as a thank, appreciate, a, show, a show of thanks, and a show of appreciation for borrowing the ladder, now what are you being? Generous. Being generous, being thankful, being appreciative, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the free will offering is. So the tithe is God, you're just giving back his ladder <laughs> and giving the 10%. By giving gifts, the free will offerings, over and above the 10%, you're showing how thankful you are to God for the gift of salvation, for his great love for you, for the blessings that he has given to you, for the family or the friends or the God's word or his messages or 
life and you know, beauty and, and the beach or whatever. Right? So you're showing thanks to God by giving over and above the, the, uh, the 10%. And how much we give it shows how much we are appreciative of what he has done for us. And there again, you can't outgive God. That's the difference between the two. Does that make sense? Does that help to delineate the difference between the two? One is really just being honest, and the other is being generous and thankful and appreciative. And that's why it's sometimes it's called a thank offering. We're demonstrating our thanks to God. Amen. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So really everything is God's. So even of the 100% we get, even that 90% that he lets us manage, we're still just managing it. It's still really all his. But the 10%, he says, don't even touch. Just pass it back where it belongs. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a hill, on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. So right, to returning God's tithe and giving offerings is not because God needs it. God does not need it. Right? It's for our purpose, it's for our benefit and for the benefit of others. And even that, God doesn't need our offerings to benefit others. He could do it on his own. He could send angels to preach the word and he can spread it if he wanted to. But he chooses to allow us to enter into the joy of the Lord and enter into the experience of giving and moving God's work forward. And so again, it's to our benefit that we grow, that we grow spiritually and that we grow in generosity and, and it takes away the selfishness out of our hearts or a demonstration of that. And so it's not for God, it's for us. God, it's not for God's sake, it's for us. He doesn't need it. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Again, it's all his. And that's a good way to look at life. You know, when we say that to, to the kids when they're in the house, we say, this car is not ours, this is God's. It's not our house, this is God's, right? It's not, everything's his, right? He's just letting us use it, right? He's letting us live here, he's letting us use the car, he's letting, it's really his, nothing is ours. And it really helps with the perspective on life, uh, both that uh, we're not possessive of it, but also then we should take better care of it because it belongs to God, right? And so we should honor it even more so out of respect to him. Acts 17, verse 24 and 25, God who made the world and everything in it gives to all life, breath, and all things. God is a giving God. For God so loved the world, he gave. And all the world is giving. Everything in the world is set up on giving. Everything except one thing. The carnal heart of humans is selfish. But everything else gives. We, we breathe out carbon dioxide, trees breathe in the carbon dioxide. So we're giving plants food, and then they breathe out the oxygen. They take that in, and then they give us oxygen. So everything works on this cycle. Everything works on this exchange. The water cycle is the clouds giving and it going down to the earth, and the earth giving to the rivers, and the rivers giving to the lakes, and the lakes giving to the streams, and the streams giving to the ocean. This cycle, and then the, the ocean's giving back to the clouds, and this cycle takes place, and all are benefiting all along the way, the fish, the trees, the plants, all benefiting humans, people, animals, benefiting from this cycle of that God has put, even in death, right? Things die, they decompose, they feed the soil, 
right? Or we eat, and then we poop, and it feeds the soil, and we, you know, if, unless we put it in a plastic bag, like we do with the dog poop now, and we put it and preserve it for a thousand years, you know. But uh, but <laughs> it's designed, you know, to make this cycle of, of nutrients for the for the ground and to keep the plants growing, and then we eat from the plants and uh, the trees, the fruit that they give us. Right? So there's a cycle that takes place. Everything cycles in it that it gives. What happens if you don't give? Right? If you don't poop, you're going to become right bound up, right? You're going to have problems, right? You know, if, if we don't breathe out the carbon dioxide, we're going to have problems, right? So if we stop giving, we become problems. Right? The, 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 the mountains up by Dan, they pour forth water. Water comes out of the mountains. We see it on our trips coming right out of the mountain, and they feed, they give to the Jordan River. And then the Jordan River goes into the Sea of Galilee. And then the Sea of Galilee brings water to the rest of the country, Israel. And then the, the Sea of Galilee has the Jordan River come out of the other end. And then that goes down, and farmers receive the water all along the way, and, and then it goes down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea says, I'm not giving any of it up. And it stops right there, lowest part of the earth, so it doesn't flow anywhere, and it's become the Dead Sea. And that's what happens. If we don't give, we die. Right? So it's this cycle that God has established because he is giving. And as we give also, we are entering in to his character. As we take on his nature, as we take on the divine nature, as we allow him to cleanse us of self and the carnal nature and allow him to crucify self and allow him to born us anew and to fill us with his spirit, he gives us his same spirit, a spirit of love and a spirit of giving, a spirit of generosity, and then we give because that's his nature. He gives. And when he is living in us, then we will also give. And then the same on the financial cycle, just like those other cycles, it will, and that giving will benefit the word of God and the preaching of the word of God and the spreading of the word of God, and more people will be in the kingdom of heaven, and more people will give, and then the cycle just continues, and more people come to heaven, and, and that cycle just keeps on going and going and going. But if we stop it and we withhold it, or we divert it and give it to some other thing that we think is important, or hold it for ourselves, then God's work stops. And there'll be less people in the kingdom of heaven, and then God's work begins to die. And we're seeing that rapidly in society today. Deuteronomy 18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So not only is everything his, the ability to get anything comes from God. Now we might think, oh, well, I earned this money. I worked real hard for this money. I've, I've worked tirelessly 40 hours and for 40 years, and I've worked and I've earned this money. But really it was God who gave us the ability to get wealth. Right? So if you have a talent, whether a skill, a musician with your hands, or carpentry, or some other craft, or, or painting, or something, you know, hands, and uh, God gave you that ability. You can lose that ability really quick. You know, one tragic accident in one second, you can lose the ability of those hands to do that type of work. Or your eyes. Or, you know, you might say, well, my brains, I went to school for umpteen years and I learned all this stuff and, and it's a brain job and, and it's all your intelligence that gives you the ability to earn the money. Well, that can be gone really quickly as well, you know. I never say I'll never forget because I know I will forget one day. <laughs> and I am forgetting more and more. Right? So that can happen very quickly 
that our brain or brain tumor or a brain injury can take away your ability to get well. So the abilities that we've had to earn money has come from God. And so really, he deserves the credit for everything. The whole 100%. It all really becomes because of him. He gave us the power to get the wealth that we have. And he deserves that honor and glory. He deserves that honesty to get the 10% back. And he deserves the thankfulness and the praise in receiving offerings so that his work can continue so more of his children can come home and be with him. Haggai 1.6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself and no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Does it seem like that's your system? Does it sound like that? Sometimes that's how it seems like you're working real hard. I'm sewing a lot. I'm working. I'm working. I'm trying this. I'm trying that. I'm working 90 hours. I'm trying. trying. It doesn't seem to ever have a month enough. There's, there's more days in the month than there is money in the bank, right? It just doesn't seem to go far enough. He's just not satisfied. Just nothing fulfilling. Never seemed to have enough. Seems like every time I look in the account, there's less in there than I thought there was. Every time I look in the wallet or in the purse, there's less in there than I thought there was. It's like it's leaking out somewhere. Like there's a hole somewhere. Yes. Okay. And you look at how much came in. Someone asked you, where to go? I don't know. <laughs> good to have a budget. Good to have a spending plan. Sometimes it seems like it's just disappearing. Well, how's that working for you? How's it working? Who hasn't been giving tithes and organs? How's that working for you? Usually not good. He says, God says, try me. Give it a try. Let's see if we can reverse that course instead of having that purse with the hole in it. Let's see if we can reverse things by putting God first. Try him. Give it a test. Tie it out for three months and see. James 5, verse 1 through 3, your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be witnessed against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. This is a last day test. This is, it was a test, Adam and Eve, in the beginning, of whether they were going to be honest, whether they were going to take what was not theirs, whether they were going to show loyalty, whether they were going to show appreciation, or not. And then the same in the last days. It'll be held against us. Our records, our checkbooks will be held against us in the last days to show where really our heart is. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be. And if you want to know where your heart is, you look at your checkbook. <laughs> look at your credit card statement. Look at your bank account. Where, that's where our heart is. That's where it's demonstrated. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I mean, that makes sense. If, if a farmer has 100 acres and he says, well, I don't know if I want to use all the seed. I'm going to just save a bunch of the seed. I'm only going to sow enough seed for one acre's worth. Well, how much crops is he going to get next year? One acre's worth, right? He's not going to get anything on the other 99 acres. right? So if, if you sow sparingly, you're only going to get back sparingly. And if we only give to God a little, then we're only going to get a little back. Again, it's that cycle. It's just a natural cycle of things. It's the way that things work in nature. Not that that should be our motive. The next verse, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? So if God loves a cheerful giver, how does he feel about someone who gives, but gives grudgingly or feeling like I have to do it, this is what the law is, I have to do it, I have to be obedient, not wanting to, but doing it out of obligation. If he loves a cheerful giver, how does he feel about that other one? Not so good. Not so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, not so great. So I encourage you, if you're not a cheerful giver, then don't give. <laughs> right? But become a cheerful giver. So how do you become a cheerful giver? Just smile as you go by the box, the Sadaka box? And put a smile on. Oh, don't worry, be happy. Is that the solution? Just be happy. Just pretend. Just be cheerful. No, that doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. That's not how to do it. So how do we become cheerful givers? The gospel. As we've been learning over the last several weeks, Right? We're not born naturally giving. We're not born naturally loving God. We're born naturally hating God, enmity against God, resistant to God, sinners, selfish, corrupt. That's our nature, naturally, greedy. And so we confess it. But I confess, I'm lacking faith. I got all these bills and I got all these... Uh, responsibilities, and I only got this a little amount. I don't see how this is going to cover that, and I don't see how you're going to be fit into that. I have a lacking of faith. It's going to take a miracle of your working, and so I got to just trust in your word, and I only have a little faith. Add to my faith. I confess that I don't have enough faith. I confess that I don't trust you enough, or I haven't been trusting you enough. I confess that I've been selfish, and I put my own needs before your needs, the needs of the salvation of souls. I confess that. I confess that I've been greedy. I confess that I've been selfish. And you confess that and you surrender that to God. And then God forgives you and he's taken the sins away. He's already really forgiven you. He takes the sins away. And he's really already paid for those sins. And he died for the sins of the world. God so loved the world he gave. And so God gave his son and his son gave his life. Yeshua paid for your sins. So if he paid for your sins, who do they belong to? Who do your sins belong to? To him, to Yeshua. He paid for it, right? And so if we're holding on to our sins, what are we doing? We're condemning ourselves, but what else are we doing? If we're holding on to something that he paid for, what are we doing? We're stealing from God, <laughs> right? So if you're holding on to your sins, you're stealing from God. Those are not yours anymore. He's already paid the price for them, <laughs> right? If you're going to go through a checkout counter and someone before you pays for something, you go over and grab that thing and run off with it, he paid for it. We're holding on to our sins that aren't ours. So confess them, give them over, let go of them. How we let go is through confession. And then God gives us, another giving, he gives us the gift of repentance. He'll even give us the gift of confession. He'll even give us the gift of uh, conviction. If we allow him, Lord, convict me. Show me what's wrong in my life. Give me the gift of confession that I confess these things, that I don't want this anymore. And so we confess it, and then he takes us, and he buries us away with himself, warns us anew, puts a new heart in us, puts a new mind in us, puts his spirit into us, and his spirit is a giving spirit, 
and his giving spirit then will give out of us, and his spirit is a cheerful spirit, it will give cheerfully out of us. Right? And that's how you become a cheerful giver, is by having the Holy Spirit in you, doing the work through you. And then it becomes natural, because then God's nature is in you, living in you, as he's made you into a son of God, and remaking you into his image, then his image comes forth. And then we give, and we give cheerfully, and then the cycle continues. And that's how we become a cheerful giver. So now in this text, in context, a lot of people just want to quote the, the one verse there, God loves a cheerful giver. Let's look in context. So we already saw that the sowing had to do with this context. And then he tells us how we get back. What are some of the things we get back? We looked a little bit already at some things that, that are blessed, the devourer being rebuked for our sake and being a blessing to other nations, an example to other nations. Then the next verse, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all efficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So he's quoting from Psalm 112 there at the end. And he's telling us some of the things that will happen as we are cheerful givers. Then say this is a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not about getting the finances about spreading God's word and his work. I had someone tell me one time, he said, uh, this is the way uh, to have all your needs met. How much do you want for next year? How much do you, calculate how much you need for next year. And then calculate what 10% of that would be, and then give that to God this year, and then he will owe you next year, and he will have to give you that much for an income next year. <laughs> That is backwards thinking, right? <laughs> God doesn't owe us anything. <laughs> that is flat out. Uh, but as we give, again, because the Holy Spirit comes into us and makes us cheerful givers, he then makes all grace abound to you. That's one of the benefits. He rebukes the devourer. He rebukes the devil. He holds back the devil's work in our lives. And so we don't always see that directly financially, but a lot, sometimes we do. But in a lot of ways, then he... Lots of benefits of having the devil just held back, the devourer held back. And then he, all grace abounding towards us. So God's grace, God's power abounding towards us, that always having sufficient in all things. So we will have sufficient in all things. We'll have enough in all things. And you'll know you have enough because what you have is enough, right? <laughs> and like um, the, the child who asked his parents for, can I have seconds? And, uh, and they said, no, you've already had enough. Right? So you, know, you, gotta say, you already have enough, that's enough. Make within do within that. But you always have sufficient, you always have enough, sufficient for what God needs you to do. And have abundance in your wallet, is that what it says? And you might, but abundance for every good work. So he'll give us the power to do right. He'll give us the Holy Spirit to do good works. He'll give us the power to live righteously, to live the right way, to do the right thing. And so God's power is poured out. But when we're withholding from God, sealing from God, then that power is withheld as well. And then we struggle in spiritual areas, not just in financial areas with a leaky purse, but we'll struggle in other areas because, again, it's a test of faith. And so if we're withholding in that area, and again, this was the first test for Adam and Eve, the first test for humanity. And so if we withhold in that area, then we're lacking in faith, 
and not receiving of God's faith and not confessing our selfishness and giving that over to God, and thus we will be spiritual dwarfs because our faith won't be able to grow and it won't be able to expand and we'll be just self-focused and not God-focused. So then he quotes Psalm 112, and we'll look at Psalm 12 in just a minute, but first let's finish up 1 Corinthians 9, verse 10, at least this section of 1 Corinthians 9. I see on these slides it says 1 Corinthians uh, for the last several slides. Uh, I think it should have been 2 Corinthians. I'll have to double-check that, but, but I think that was wrong. I think it typed it wrong, a typo there. It should be 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. For this service, service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God for liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So still with this cheerful giver and sowing bountifully, he who supplies the need, who supplies the sun and the rain for those who sow the seed, he will supply and multiply even beyond all that we could ask or think. He will supply for our every need. He will give to us in abundance and multiply what we have done. And so whatever God, by God's grace we're able to do, he's able to multiply it even more so. And he will increase the fruits of our righteousness. So again, he will give us that extra grace, that extra power to live righteous lives. And much more so than we are when we are being unfaithful and not manifesting faith and stealing from God. So the righteousness abounds and the fruits of righteousness. And then it's also supplying the needs of the saints. It's furthering God's work that the saints are able to be ministered to, and that will produce many thanksgivings to God. Many people will give thanks to God. Many more people will be saved. Many more people will praise God as a result of our giving cheerfully to the Lord's work. And then we have then, and by their prayers for you, people will be praying, Lord, thank you, Lord that I came to know you. Thank you that that minister shared with me. Thank you that I received that book. Thank you that I saw that Shalom Adventure webpage or whatever. Thank you, Lord, for your work in my life. And thank you for all those who made that possible. Thank you who paid for those Bibles. Thank you who paid for that work. Thank you who paid for those ministers and for the upkeep of that webpage. Thank you for all that you've done. And then they're praying and blessing and praising God. And then again, the cycle there. Right? So we give, God's work goes forward, people come to the Lord, they praise the Lord, they pray, and the blessings then continue over and over again. For God's indescribable gift. God gives. He's giving gifts unto us. Let's look at this Psalm 112 a little bit. Bless this man who was giving that Paul quoted. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established, and he will not be afraid. These are some more of these blessings that come as we give as cheerful givers back to God's word. 
and not stealing from him, but faithful to him. Our descendants, whether literal physical descendants or those we've witnessed to who come to the Lord, spiritual children, wealth is in riches, so there will be financial blessings as well. And I've seen that in many people's lives who've given to the Lord. And again, we've read in stories and seen this. I, I know people who've given 25% to the Lord, 10% in tithe, and then another 15%, and they were rich people. And God is blessed. I've seen God's blessings poured out in their lives as they've given to the Lord. Wealth and riches will be in his house. And his righteousness, again, gift of righteousness is poured out. It can't be poured out when we're withholding and stealing from God. And it endures forever. And he will guide our affairs with discretion. If we're wise in putting God first with our money, then he will give us the wisdom to manage the other 90% better. We will have discretion. We will have wisdom. We will make better purchases. The things we purchase will last longer. And sometimes God's blessings are that way. In the wilderness, 40 years our shoes didn't wear out. Right? I've got socks that are all that old. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's amazing, right? They have holes in them, but nonetheless, you know, they, uh, they're, they're religious socks. They're holy, right? But they, they, they last forever, you know? <laughs> it guides us with discretion. Uh, he will, we'll never be shaken, right? So our faith will be established, our faith, because we'll see how God worked. And we put God first, and then he spread, and it may, it, that's how to strengthen our faith, to test God. And as we test God, we see his miracles. If we never test him, if we never try him, if we never step out in faith, then we'd never see him work. So this is one of the ways, and one of the main ways, and one of the first ways that we able to see God really at work. I mean, it's easy to believe that he did something 2,000 years ago. It's easy to believe that he did something 6,000 years ago. It's easy to believe, you know, just general doctrines and principles. But this is one of the areas, this Sabbath keeping, you know, maybe a few others, that are actually demonstrated in our lives, that really demonstrate obedience, that really demonstrate faith, that really demonstrate trust in God. And that's really what the whole life is about. That's what the whole judgment's going to be about. Not so much did we believe some theology, but did we live it out? And this is one of the areas where God is testing us just as he tested Eve and Adam in the garden. And so we'll be able to better discern and have better discretion in our use of things. We will not be shaken. Our faith will be strong. We'll not be afraid of evil tidings, because we've seen how God's worked. God's going to rebuke the devourer. Yeah, I'm getting all these threatenings. Yeah, I'm going to get all these... But God is more powerful. He's promised to rebuke the devourer. I'm all paid up. I know God's going to step in and work as he promised to. Our heart will be steadfast. Our heart will be established. We won't be wavering and shaking in our faith. It establishes us. And we won't be afraid. No fear. Those are great things. Those are great benefits from just returning to God what is already his. And having his spirit to give thankfully over and above. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. See, wonderful promises. God promises to bless and bless abundantly and over and over again. Why with these wonderful blessings, we've seen so many already, why would we withhold? Right? So many people believe other people who tell them, oh, if you, uh, if you invest in this stock, Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up so much. You know, or, or if you buy this 
cream or whatever, it's going to do all this for you. Or if you, or you invest in this thing and then there's a pyramid scheme and then other people will buy from you and they got garages full of this stuff and they can't sell it. And they, they believe this and they invest. Oh, if you invest this, if you do this, this will work for you and you'll, and you'll be rich. We believe humans who often fail us. And God gives us these amazing promises. God who is from eternity, God who's never lied, God who's never been wrong, even if they were sincere that that stock was good, they still could be wrong. God is never wrong. And he's given us these sure, established promises that will not fail. And why do we struggle? Why don't we put him first in this area and other areas? Why don't we test him and see him work? We'll be much more happy and God's work will go much more further. Our vats will be filled and overflowing with new wine and blessings. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Isn't that a beautiful analogy? I mean, just the imagery there is beautiful. And so I brought in this box of cereal. Right? And often it says on the cereal, if you're bored while you're eating breakfast and you're reading, it says, uh, sold by weight, uh, sifting might have occurred. Right? So that means because you can feel it's only like three quarters full. Right? You know? And the top is all, is all empty. Because maybe when the machine shoved it in there with all the air and stuff loosely, it was up to the top at one point. It's by weight. But then as it shifts and it shakes and it moves, from machine to machine, it settles, right? because of settling, and so it settles down. So he says he takes what we gave, so we gave the full box, we gave our 10%, he then takes that and he sifts it, settles it, shakes it, gets it down even further, then he presses it, right? crushes it all, <laughs> turns it into little powder, and he presses it even more, and then he fills it up. And not just fills it up, and then presses it again, shakes it again, and fills it up again, presses and shakes it, and gets more in there, more in there, more in there. And then overflowing, that is just pouring out, that he just keeps on pouring over it and pouring out. That's what he says he's going to give to us. If we give to him, he'll just do so much more for us in pouring out that we won't have room to receive it. Running over into our bosom. Wonderful promises. We can claim these promises. We can claim these promises as we've put God first. Because he put us first. Yes. Right? So he loved us. He first loved us. He first gave to us. He gave his son. He gave us his salvation. He gives to us. And then as we receive that love, then love is giving back to him is a natural result. And if we're not giving back to him, it's a demonstration that we haven't received his love, his grace, his salvation that he's already given to us. We've just received a bunch of theories, even true theories, true doctrines, but we just received those and we didn't really receive the Holy Spirit. We didn't really receive his faith. Let this faith of Yeshua be in us. We will have the faith of Yeshua. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's all going to burn. <laughs> Right? The car is going to burn, the house is going to burn, this whole earth is going to burn, everything, the plastic, the rubber, everything is going to melt with fervent heat. It's all going to burn. It's not worth anything here. Right? You die, you can't take it with you. Right? No hearse follows the, uh, follows the funeral procession, right? 
It all gets left behind. Unless you're a pharaoh or something like that. And even then, they got left behind. Right? No, it's all going to rust here. Don't hold on to it here. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Right. So put our treasures with God. Put our heart with God, and our treasures with God, and our heart with God. And again, the cycle takes place. So God tested Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden there. Put that tree there as a test of their loyalty, of their honesty, of their faith, of their respect, of their appreciation for what he has given them. And that same test is given to us now here in these last days. The test of tithes and offerings, whether we will give back his 10%, whether we will show appreciation by giving offerings for his other work, for homeless ministries, for other ministries, for roofs, and for other type of work, that's what the free will offerings go towards. That type of spreading of the gospel. So are we willing to give in those areas? Do we test him? Will we pass the test? Or will we fail like Eve and remain here another 6,000 years? The choice is up to us. The blessings are for us. It's for us. It's not for God. It's for God's work. It's for our cleansing. It's for our benefit. For God's for benefit of other humans. Which, of course, benefits God's kingdom. So as we pray, if God has been convicting you that you've been stealing from him, you need to tithe or offerings and withholding from him, and you want to confess that. You want to say, Lord, just be honest with him. He already knows, <laughs> you know. So might as well tell him, stop hiding behind the tree, hiding behind the bushes. Come out and say, Lord, I did. I, I've been stealing from you. I've been withholding from you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Remove that from me. Give me faith. You can confess unbelief. You can confess uh, lack of faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Confess it to him. Surrender it to him. Lord, I'm sorry, I've been looking at these piles of bills. I've been looking at all these things that seem needed. Not looking at you. Not looking at the storehouse of heaven. I confess that. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with faith. Fill me with trust. If that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, you can confess that. Secondly, if you have been maybe giving faithfully in tithes and offerings, but not cheerfully. Maybe at one time it was cheerful. Maybe one time you had a first love experience with the Lord. And maybe you've continued in doing what is right, because you know it's right and it was habitual, and you just kind of got that check just flowing naturally but you've lost the cheerfulness of it. You've lost the joy of the Lord in giving. And so you're giving, but you're giving grudgingly. And God's convicting you of that. Then just confess that. Lord, I've taken my eyes off of you. I've taken my eyes off of heaven. I've taken my eyes off of your work here on this earth. Forgive me, cleanse me, refill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me cheerfulness. Give me generosity. Give me love. Love for others, love for you. Fill me with that and overflow that through me. So if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, 
you can confess that to him and give that over to him. And again, if the area is lack of faith or selfishness or problems, you got problems and bills and stuff like that, give that over to God. Surrender it to him. If you want to claim his promises, maybe you've been giving faithfully, then claim his promises. God, you promised me all these promises. And hold on. Don't let go. Hold him accountable for his promises. Lord, come through. You promised to come through. Maybe you needing discretion and the use of the 90%, rightly using it. And in a moment, as we pray, ask God to give you wisdom and how to balance a budget and how to have a budget, how to have a spending plan, and to know where the funds are going because they're accountable. Because it's all His. And so we're going to be held accountable for how that's used as well. Whether it's being wasted, how it's being used. So ask God to guide you in that and give you wisdom in that. Anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God and He will give generously to all who ask. And so we can ask for that and God will bless us with that as well. So that applies to you in a moment when we pray. You can ask for that wisdom and that guidance. Maybe in some other areas from this message, maybe uh, you've been misusing the time, maybe giving faithfully, but giving not into a storehouse. Maybe you've been using that again for some other, giving to your neighbor or something for their air conditioning bill or something, which is a nice thing. That would be more free will offerings. And so maybe you've been misapplying the tithes and offerings. Now you've learned and now see a little bit more of what God means on that. And so if that applies to you, then ask God to help you make that straight on that and give in the right way that God has demonstrated. Maybe you've been giving faithfully in 10%, but haven't been giving offerings. And you thought you were being generous, and now you see you're just being honest. And now you want to be generous and give thanks to God. And so pray as we pray. Ask God, what percentage should I give of the free will offering? We know the 10% is 10%. But of the free will, how much do you want me to give at this point in my life, God? And I've known someone, he started, he gave him 5%, and then he, his business doubled, and he doubled his offering, and God blessed again, and he doubled it again, and he got, eventually he was giving 50% of his income. And almost all the other businesses that were competing with him went out of business, except one other. That was still one too many for him. <laughs> but, uh, but God blessed us, he gave, and every time he gave, he gave more on the offering. So whatever percentage God's impressing you, on your heart, your purpose in your heart to give on that above the 10%. And so you can pray about that. That applies to you. So whatever area applies in your life, let's let God do his work. Let us pray together. I mean, we can thank him also for, again, first giving to us and for taking our sins and paying for our sins. Doesn't get better than that. Thank you, Lord. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we do praise you and we do thank you for first loving us, for creating us, and loving us as we are even in our selfish, carnal condition. Thank you for giving your son, your most important possession, your first possession. Thank you, Lord, for giving Yeshua. Thank you for giving yourself for us. Thank you for paying for our sins. Paying, thank you for paying our debt. Thank you for first loving us while we were yet sinners, while we were against you. Thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. Thank you for giving us and blessing us with air and with life and with breath and with abilities to get wealth, with hands and with minds, and with eyes and ears and talents. Thank you for giving us clothing and stuff and food. Thank you for the abundance that we've had. and Thank you for your 
Spirit to convict. Holy Spirit, convict us and show us where we've been stealing from you, where we've been stealing from God, where we've been stealing from your work, where we've been hindering your work. Give us the gift of conviction. Give us the gift of repentance. Give us a hatred for that. Give us a sorrow for that. Give us a repulsiveness towards the greed and the lack of faith and the selfishness and the lack of trust. Cleanse us, forgive us, wash us clean, remove it out of our hearts and minds. Thank you for doing that. Fill us with your spirit. Come into us, live in us, and live out of us. Make us cheerful givers, generous givers. Show us how much to give. Make us honest. Make us thankful. And bless us, use us in spreading your work and use those funds that were given for saving souls for your kingdom for your honor and for your glory, in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.